everyone, this episode is supported by Korg from Thor Ragnarok and his buddy Meek, obviously. He wants us to let you know that although he's made out of rocks, you shouldn't be afraid of him, unless you're a pair of scissors. In that case, he's the perfect ally to have when you're being chased by a double, just like in Jordan Peele's movie, Us. Wow, that's the greatest crossover reference in podcast history. Hi everyone, I'm Sindhuri Nandakumar. Hi everyone, I'm Nikhil Venkateza. And this is Creating Life. Sindhu, how's your week been? It's been good. It's been a week of crazy social media references to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm a little fatigued by it, but I also have FOMO, so I just want to talk about it and let the world know that I watched Endgame. Um, But, you know, do we even have to explain to our listeners what Avengers Endgame is? I don't think so, Sindhu. Even my parents, whose superhero knowledge was pretty much Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, all their lives, they now know who Captain Marvel, T'Challa, Black Panther and Thanos are. Yeah, and you know, I'm no comic book nerd, but even I find myself getting hyped up by every new Marvel movie. And that's really been a recent phenomenon over the past few years because my cousin, Ashu, he is a huge fan. He points out all these Easter eggs after we watch the movies. He takes me to watch them in IMAX. He gives me an education during the intermission. And I just, you know, I'm a late um, entry, but I'm a part of it now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and nerd culture is now part of the mainstream, right? And Marvel has been able to convert characters that people had no clue about 10 years ago into these worldwide superstars in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which already has, crazily enough, 22 films in it. And it's all coming together in Avengers Endgame. Yeah, so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the MCU through the hype that it has built for Endgame and what's at stake for the Avengers going into the film. And for that, we have two awesome guests on the show to share their perspectives. After that, we'll get into full spoiler territory and discuss our first reactions to the movie. All right, Sindhu, snap your fingers and let's do this. Mm, Nikhil, I I don't think you should make that a thing. What, snapping your fingers like Thanos? Yeah, that snap wiped out like half the universe. Why would you try to make it cool? Okay, okay. What about a double clap then? No. High five? No. Fist bump, come on. (sighs) Nikhil, we don't have the time for this. You're right, Sindhu, let's just settle on... (sighs) God, sometimes I just want him to shut up. Sindhu, where where did Nikhil go? Seems like a thousand years ago. I fought my way out of that cave. Became Iron Man. Realized I loved you. I know I said no more surprises, but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. Whew. Thanks for bringing me back, Sindhu. Man, that, <coughs> that dust really sucks. Yeah, welcome back. You know, we recorded the whole episode with uh, Siddharth, who's our sound engineer, but then he was like, screw this, I, I don't like this. So anyway, now you may be thinking about why we're talking about the Avengers on this podcast. You look at something like Avengers Infinity War, and this, you know, statistic blew my mind. It's one of the 20 highest grossing films in India. And that's not 20 foreign films, that's 20 films, period. That's Siddhant Adlaka. He's a freelance film critic for publications like The Village Voice, Polygon and Slash Film. He recently did a deep dive of every film in the MCU in a series for Slash Film called Road to Endgame. It made more money in India than Uri, than Three Idiots. It sold about a million and a half tickets in the first 24 hours of tickets being online in India, which is more than uh, the Rajnikanth film 2.0. 
So last month, one of the Endgame directors, Joe Russo, came to Mumbai to do this big press round in India for the first time. And then he also showcased an Avengers theme for India composed by one of our biggest composers, A.R. Rahman. Uh, this one's really special for all of us, uh, and we can't uh, think of a more perfect way to thank all the fans who have stood by us uh, uh, over the years. For Endgame, Marvel also got Hollywood actors Vijay Sethupati and Andrea Jeremiah to dub for Iron Man and Black Widow in the Tamil version of the film. And they also got director A.R. Murugadas to write the Tamil dialogues for it. india and in china that is allowing those markets to be tapped into that is allowing hollywood to get in on the ground level while the cement is still being laid you know for what the face of these movie going cultures will look like one of the ways that disney and marvel have recognized that in india is by licensing their characters and brands to official merchandise partners like the soul store Marvel is spread across the country. Who you just listened to is Vedank Patel and he's the co-founder of the Soul Store and he spoke to us about Marvel's impact in the Indian merchandise market and how the brand has really grown over the years. There is definitely a higher concentration in metros and tier 2 cities but the response from tier 3 cities is pretty well as uh, is also pretty good, you know. Vedank, how exacting is Marvel to merchandisers? Are there a lot of rules that come with being a merchandiser for the brand? It's definitely not an easy process because uh, they are very uh, particular about who they give this license to. They make sure that you have the quality that they're looking for in your products, not just the quality, but they also want to make sure that the licensor they give this, uh, uh, you know, the license to make merchandise has uh, a good understanding of the brand. They don't want anyone, uh, you know, taking let's say Thanos and uh, putting it on a T-shirt that doesn't uh, suit his color or that doesn't go with his theme. They also want to make sure that whenever you market and make designs for this uh, merchandise, the character is displayed in the right way. For example, if Deadpool is funny, the character and the merchandise and the marketing has to be funny. Um, how you handle their brand is uh, very important for sure. And are there any particular reasons why the impact in India is just so widespread now? I think one reason is because uh, the movies are, do get dubbed in our regional languages and uh, this helps you know penetrate into tier 3 cities and much smaller towns another thing that helps marvel is uh, you know data connectivity because now accessibility of movies you know sometimes pirated is available to even someone sitting in not in a very small town his awareness of what marvel is and what their characters are has increased drastically um, and he then becomes a fan and he wants to buy this merchandise as well thanks a lot for talking to us vedang you can check out soul store's merchandise at www.thesoulstore.com sadant considering that markets like china and india are now factoring heavily into marvel's box office projections and results for these films do you think that they're going to have any effect on how these films are made 
it does, I think, have a positive impact on diversity. So you will see more South Asian and East Asian characters because Disney will ultimately follow the money. Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, um, she has been really popular in the comics for the last seven years or so. And, you know, with the success of something like Captain Marvel, I think a character like her following would make sense because she, you know, looks up to Carol Danvers and all that. So just from that standpoint, the, you know, the, the fictional world is primed for this next generation of superheroes and for them to be more diverse. They're always going to be four quadrant films. They're always going to try and appeal to a wide audience base, which doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be dumbed down, but it means they will have to be very broad in their appeal. So there's probably a limit onto how specific they can get. Even something like Black Panther, like it tackles, I, I think it's great that it tackles race the way that it does, but even that is sort of um, a surface level gleaming of the issue. And they do manage to fit it into the story that way, you know, in a way that works. But you're, you're not going to find too many films in the MCU getting deeper than that. So I think from that standpoint, the, the broadness of the appeal might limit what they are and are not willing to do. Um, or I should say allowed to do because... You know, the people making the creative decisions aren't necessarily the people who have final say. Your piece on Avengers Infinity War ends with this line. In Avengers Endgame, who the Avengers are and what they stand for is at stake. Why do you think that is? I think we're in this interesting place with the MCU where um, there's been this sort of coming together of the characters, of course, but of the themes throughout the series as well, the themes about power, the themes about fatherhood, the themes about sacrifice. And the way Infinity War ends, it's not even really an ending. It's it's the midpoint of a story. And it's the part where, you know, the characters themselves have to recuperate. But it's the part where the storytellers have to now figure out a way to bring them back from the lowest point possible. You know, a, a, a universal massacre. And in the process of reaching that point, throughout the course of Infinity War, they constantly try and sacrifice for the greater good, but that doesn't work. Something that has worked in the series thus far. And that's what defines the Avengers in a way. You know, the ability and willingness to sacrifice for the greater good, to, you know, put your life on the line for other people. And now that that has started failing them, now that that hasn't worked in Infinity War, in fact, the only person who sacrifices something or someone and gets something out of it is Thanos, the villain. So going into Endgame, I feel like it's going to be interesting to see how they how they approach the concept of sacrifice, the idea of sacrifice now that, you know, it's it's been taken away from them. The ability to be a hero in the first place has been taken away from them. The ability to be an Avenger, so to speak, has been taken away from them. How difficult is it to critically analyze the MCU when it has such a devoted fan base around the world and it's easy for trolls to attack you on the internet? <laughs> um, it's funny you mentioned that just before getting on this podcast, I just blocked someone on Twitter for like, you know, being particularly nasty towards me. They, I think they created an account specifically to talk about me. That's something that happened since this series began. In the grand scheme of things, it's a very small percentage of people. For the most part, I'm... I'm kind of thrilled with the response because it's people who 
uh, either have been, you know, looking for something deeper into these films or who, even if they don't necessarily agree with what I'm saying, will understand where I'm coming from and how I came to that conclusion. And um, so I'm happy that, you know, people are talking about this stuff a little more. So when it comes to, you know, trolls and all that, they don't really have anything of value to say. So I don't really care. So Sidan, should we look at the MCU's films beyond just their pure entertainment value? A lot of critics have ignored these films beyond the rare exception like Black Panther. This is a language that we're all speaking together. Even though it's not in you know, individual words, it is a collective shared understanding. And the deeper we look into it, the more we'll be able to get a sense of what it is that we're absorbing and enjoying. Something like Captain Marvel, especially coming out in you know, uh, America today, or coming out globally today, but from America today. It deserves a second look because of its ties to the US Air Force, uh, because it is essentially a propaganda film. And several Marvel movies are, and several Hollywood movies are, and that's something we don't talk about enough. And I I get that some people might be resistant to that. You know, uh, no, I I just want to enjoy this as entertainment. You know, that's fine. Uh, But my diving into these films and talking about Uh, their military funding and their militaristic aspects hasn't lessened my enjoyment of them. Um, You know, I'm still going to be there for Avengers Endgame opening night and I'm going to be really excited. Siddhan Tadlaka is a freelance film critic whose series Road to Endgame is available to read at SlashFilm.com and you can also find him on Twitter at Siddhan Tadlaka. Okay, Sindhu, it's time to talk our first reactions to Avengers Endgame. Obviously, this will be filled with spoilers, so if you haven't seen it yet, come back after you have. And that's when we lost all our audience. (laughs) (laughs) What little of them were there. We saw the film in the second row of this lively theatre in Chennai, and my neck is still hurting from it. But Nikhil, what did you think? Uh, Before I get into it, I'll just say, you know, I I booked the tickets, so it falls on me. But I think we got the IMAX experience for a, you know, discounted price. Excuses. (laughs) Excuses. <laughs> anyway, uh, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed it, Sindhu. My my jaw dropped at so many places in the movie because mm-hmm. this is one of those films that you can say it's the blockbuster to end all blockbusters. And it features the MCU firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. You know, going into it, I was really skeptical to see all this hype and this widespread praise for the film. But after going through it, it was an incredible experience and I can see why that praise is justified. Fair enough. What about you? I, I enjoyed it. So, like, I'm not as big a fan as you are. I cried when Black Widow died. I um, got goosebumps when Black Panther came back. I was like, yes, T'Challa. <laughs> but um, I think it is important to kind of talk about what our individual relationships with the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been like. I'm a very late convert, largely because of my cousin Ashu, who brought me into it, like I mentioned. And I feel like a lot of people, I know a lot of people in our age group who kind of grew up with the universe, who watched Iron Man when it first released, got hooked onto it. I only watched it yesterday after we watched Endgame. And you still haven't seen it entirely. No, no. And then, um, you know, Captain America, the first Avengers, like those are the films that I think really reeled people into the idea of this network Mm -hmm. of characters and films. The first MCU film that I properly watched, like not by listening to somebody else, watch it on the TV, was Guardians of the Galaxy, which isn't really representative of what that 
stereotypical co-Avengers have going for them, right? Right, right, right. But what what is your relationship with Marvel films been like? I mean, for me, I am one of those guys who didn't really read the comics because there's not a big comic culture uh, in South India mm. for Marvel comics, at least. Um, but you know, I read some of the seminal comic book graphic novels, and I followed the MCU from the start, from the first Iron Man movie. Um, so I've seen pretty much all the MCU films leading up to Endgame, except for Thor: The Dark World. So, what was it like for you to watch Endgame as the end of all these other films? For Endgame, especially going in with the solid working knowledge of the Avengers and how their story has evolved over the course of these uh, films. So, first Avengers, Ultron, the second Avengers movie, Civil War, and then Infinity War in this film. You know, I I I think that. having that knowledge makes it a much more enjoyable and emotional experience as a viewer mm. because it's layered with several payoffs from previous films that will probably go over anyone's head if they haven't seen those films in the past so for example mm. sindhu you haven't seen doctor strange so you probably don't know why tilda swinton shows up in endgame i mean i just thought she was a white woman who went in search of peace which i think is a <laughs> fair assumption but you know i agree with you i think there's a lot of payoff for the patience of following and the loyalty of being with this franchise for so many years but i also disagree with you in that i don't think it it won't be an enjoyable experience for those who haven't followed the franchise like yes they're going to miss a lot of references if they come back to it after having watched it they'll be like oh here are all the things that i didn't see the first time around mm-hmm. but i think even otherwise marvel's aim is not just to reward the fans i think but also to make these films stand alone experiences that can be viewed by everybody yeah i think so but there's still that extra emotional payoff you get as someone who's followed the series for this long and i think that um because there's so much payoff for not only the avengers franchise but also iron man and his mm. story captain america and his story um and you sort of go back and revisit characters that were previously killed in the MCU that you get a chance to um just briefly watch and interact with uh if you've seen those previous films yeah yeah um and so you know it 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 definitely offers that um additional emotional value that i think regular viewers won't get and i think you know part of it is the time travel conceit of the film right mm. which allows us to go back to these iconic scenes like the first avengers uh, finale in new york where yeah. they need to go and get one of the uh, infinity stones like when captain america enters the elevator like he did in the second uh, captain america movie or when war machine and nebula find uh, chris pratt's character peter quill jamming mm. out to the walkman in the first guardians of the galaxy movie so those moments have that extra emotional depth because you've seen these characters in those situations before and mm. you bring a certain level of expectation and there's a whole lot of reversals and these things that are happening within the text of the film. Mm-hmm. For sure I I completely agree with you and I think even just having watched a few films seeing Chris Pratt or seeing other people there is a sense of familiarity there's a sense of oh a recognition as well. Right. Um and I I I do agree with you and I, but I think that rewarding aspect of the franchise is a very big part of how Marvel has marketed itself. I have never seen a publicity stunt or publicity strategy I think of this nature and size you see on you get on twitter you see marvel promoting its hashtags you right. get to the merchandising like we spoke with vedang you get to all the promotions they've done and, and the localizations like yeah. we spoke about and and i think it's just a recognition for how much they are 
aware that these new markets are important mm. and also would we be this hyped and this excited if it wasn't already done deliberately by them and i think if for anybody who's listened to our episode on super deluxe which is a tamil film we talked about this we talked about how the director's first film went under the radar for the most part mm-hmm. second one just came with so much hype i think part of that was a strategy on the film's part would the film have done as well without that publicity and i think marvel is a key example for for, for that question well i think marvel promotes all their movies in a similar way right so i yeah. don't i don't think see out of 22 films that they've released they've all been promoted in a similar but way but the scale of this and the, like they, have they been planning this for 12 years the intentionality of like leading to this summit apogee that's true i mean i think it's one of the great things about end game is how the seeds have been planted in the franchise in so many different ways that you can pick up on and how much of that was intentional how much of that was designed just for infinity war and end game hmm. these are questions that we can debate right but i think the ability to tie it all together in 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 this way is i think one of the strengths of this franchise you know so hype is one thing right but i think the hype is of a different scale because the payoff of end game has not been done in cinema before mm-hmm. right so usually when you take a franchise or a most franchises are trilogies you take the dark knight trilogy you take the spy, original spider-man trilogy you take the godfather right mm. because of this close nature of the trilogy the third film is always going to pay off what came before yeah. it mm-hmm. but even if you take the james bond franchise you have these callbacks to the previous films in the franchise or the mission impossible series that has these sort of bits that they sprinkle in every uh, installment of it that sort of call back to previous installments but the avengers franchise is unique because there are 22 films that all fit within the same framework and end game pays off a lot of these uh, individual installments and characters in emotionally satisfying ways so i think the hype that comes with this film is unprecedented because it's this massive uh, payoff to all these different installments in the franchise but i think th- i think that's also what i'm like amazed by which is the deliberate nature of it and right. you know how they probably had to plan this from the time iron man released to kind of come out with it but here's another question right if we look at the themes that these films deal with we've read criticisms that talk about the close ties between some of the marvel films and the military some of them have been funded by the pentagon captain marvel had a close association with the air force mm-hmm. and also the themes they deal with are very broad in terms of valor and bravery almost greek greek epic style like captain america's stoicism and his quiet leadership and his devotion to his ideals yeah and then the larger dilemmas they deal with like tony stark's uh, self interest versus contributing to society right but i don't feel like maybe with the exception of black panther which i'm sure people will say had its own problems it doesn't get very deep or critical and maybe this is to appeal to the not lowest common denominator but to to appeal to as wide of an audience base as possible but is do you think genre films can't get deep or do you think fantasy films cannot get deep because that's not what they are well i think i mean it's a complicated question because a lot of people have asked for more out of these films but this is something that uh, even sidan talked about when we spoke to him right that mm. they can only go so deep because they're appealing to the broadest base yeah you know i i i'm conflicted about this myself i don't know whether so what would the what would this deep 
ideal version of a of a marvel movie be for you sindhu i don't know i think black panther had traces of it maybe because of the director who is known for his critical take on you know african american society and culture within the us ryan coogler then we also have tanahasi quotes one of america's most well known african american public intellectuals who wrote the some of the black panther comics for right, marvel recently, yeah. and i think that's a recognition on their part that this debate is warranted and it can come in this nuance can come in but i'm i'm thinking of a genre film like for instance jordan peele's us oh get out yeah yeah which it manages to straddle both its genre and a very critical take right it's it's layered and people's minds are blown away by it i just don't know if it fits within what marvel stands for but also it the thing is Marvel is kind of like an assembly line if you look at it, right? Yeah, it's formulaic also. I see it as. A lot of the films have the formulas, um but if you look at Infinity War and Endgame, right? Mm-hmm. That formula is sort of I think it subverts its own formula and you can make an argument for why that is or whether it fits within the broader formula. But I think because they have such strict timelines and they have targets and milestones that they need to hit within the universe, there's only so much depth that they can get to right yeah. the thing with jordan peel as a filmmaker and as someone who's writing and directing his own movies he has the freedom to ex- do those explorations and make those statements because his he's not necessarily following up with the characters from get out or from us yeah yeah whereas with marvel it's like if they make a drastic statement that's going to affect not only that character in that film be it an iron man or a captain america it's going to affect the guardians of the galaxy in some way So because there's this interconnected sort of tapestry uh it's difficult for them to do that um and i think okay. and i think you know while i wanted more out of the marvel movies especially in the first couple of phases hmm. uh with the captain america sequels and the iron man sequels i think i've come to accept that these films can only go so deep but they 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 prove to be so enjoyable in a very specific way that i know what i'm getting each time i'm going to a marvel film Right, mm. and I think that's satisfying in its own way, and I, I think I've come to reconcile that I'm not going to get that depth from a Marvel film. Okay, so here's a question for you, as a diehard Marvel fan, or just a Marvel fan, <laughs> you, we all knew going into Endgame. I think it was assumed that something of the past would have been would be reversed, and I think to a certain extent we realized that time travel was one of the few ways to achieve it. Right. we because you can't let half the, the avengers and the heroes be and the dead. popular characters like black panther and spiderman because we know they're coming up with sequels probably chronological nexts from the previous ones right we also know that uh, robert downey jr is getting too expensive for the franchise so he needs to gracefully exit chris evans as well chris evans wanted out so we knew going into it that maybe the only thing we didn't foresee was scarlett johansson's death right so what then if you know all these things are we going to watch these movies for where does the value come in for me the value comes in how they pulled it off because i think that it would have been so easy for the filmmakers of end game to do the time travel go back to infinity war and just replay infinity war but have the avengers win right mm-hmm. that's a very easy version of what end game could have been but i think what is so satisfying about it is how they revisit so how for example iron man and captain america are the prime focus of this film and they have to go back and reconcile with you know who they were as individuals and what they need to do to um redeem themselves and mm. you know truly become avengers right so i think the that emotional satisfaction and 
it's it's so it's so fun in terms of how it reaches those eventual end points that you're talking about right end games end games that you're talking about hmm. um i think it's interesting to contrast iron man's conclusion to captain america's because iron man's conclusion feels earned in so many ways right uh because he's ultimately making a sacrifice for the team something that he wouldn't have done in the first avengers movie even hmm. but i think captain america's ending just feels completely artificial it You don't think so? No, but it, it it again goes back to that stoic American, right? It's just like he's been in the ice, like he's he just wants to have a life, man. Like I get that, but he wants to go old. <laughs> I get that, but at the same time, one of the issues for me in Endgame is that everyone gets a happy ending, basically, apart from Black Widow, mm. right? Hawkeye gets his family back, Iron Man gets redeemed and gets a family, has a daughter for the legacy to pass on. Captain America gets his life with Peggy. Hmm. So I feel like with all these happy endings the fact that no one is really you know lost enough to to really change their world right Thor willingly gives up his kingdom hmm. because he's changed over those 5 years but I feel like we don't really spend enough time with him during that 5 year transition to really get why he does it But I think that's also maybe because Marvel fans are comprised of children and maybe the desire to give them it is disney after all like right. give them a happy ending and i think for that we need to watch game of thrones for that <laughs> level of like nuance and disturbance i know the, the battle is coming up really soon yeah 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 i know exactly what you're talking <laughs> about. um but yeah so what do you hope for from the next marvel film My uh, sister actually while we were talking about the movie yesterday she raised a very interesting point she was like do you think they're going to reboot Iron Man 10 years from now hmm. and I laughed because that would be so obvious to do hmm. but at the same time I think that uh this Marvel Cinematic Universe there are consequences and there, there is finality to what they do so I think that even though there's no Iron Man right now that uh you know we have a little daughter stark for her to mm. you know take up the mantle so i think that's possible in the future but i don't think they'll bring back robert downey jr or tony stark as a character because because otherwise i feel like it would cheapen that conclusion and what are your expectations sindhu I'm just going to go back and watch some and, of the movies and watch it in the whole Marvel. Not no, the whole but people have pointed me towards, you know, Iron Man 1 and 2, Captain America 2, Avengers. Avengers. Avengers I've watched most of them. Um I'm going to watch Doctor Strange Love just to find out what till this Doctor Winter. Strange Sorry, Doctor, Doctor Strange, Strange Love. <laughs> to find out You're what You're confusing till. a Kubrick movie <laughs> with a Marvel movie. Isn't that irony? Um just to find out what till this Winter is all about. great chat even though you made me feel um badly about not knowing much about the marvel universe for which i will gracefully forgive you <laughs> um but uh thank you to everyone who's listening if you watched the movie and you have some nuanced disagreement agreement please write to us at creatinglifepodcast@gmail.com i know we didn't really talk about each and every plot point in the movie but i think uh, this broader discussion of marvel what it means what it represents and where it's going are all questions that we're all thinking about and you know hopefully we've uh, contributed something that you think is interesting and definitely read siddhant adlaka's uh, long thoughtful critical analyses on slashfilm.com he's really gone into some depth there yeah it's definitely great creating life is produced and hosted by me sindhuri nandakumar along with nikhil venkatesa 
Our episodes are recorded at Audio Studios Chennai. Our associate producer C Kirinan and recording engineer Siddhartha. You can also find us online at creatinglifepodcast.com or write to us at creatinglifepodcast@gmail.com. At